by the grace of Tyus Battle, we're back. He ran it all the way about as long as... At least we think that Tyus Battle is coming back. A lot of things happened yesterday. I don't know, man. I'm, I'm still waiting. I'm still... I, I, after yesterday, I don't know what to think. Yeah, it, it was back and forth all day long. Zags and Goodman. I love a good Zags-Goodman fight. So that's what, what we saw yesterday. Didn't see that brawl coming. Goodman from, from the top row, basically. But yeah. I, we'll get into that a little bit later. Yeah, that, that was... That yesterday was fun. It was exhilarating, but fun. It's fun looking See, back on it, I guess. Nothing's it's easy for Syracuse. It was odd, but hey, he's coming, and this team is going to be really good now. So Jim Beheim locked up Tyus Battle, DeAndre Jordan style. He's coming back. At least that's what it seems like for now, and we've got plenty to discuss in the FizzCast. Tim, let's go. FizzCast! Without Jerry McIntyre, we would have won 10 10 games this year. You're watching the Fizz. Okay? Not 10. We're so Fizz most brutal thing I've seen in 30 years. Welcome back to another episode of The Fizz. And especially that it comes from our people. OrangeFizz.net So it's officially official, Tim Leonard, after so much time and trial and tribulation. Tyus Battle finally coming back. It's set in stone now. He will join the Orange after pretty much holding out as long as possible yesterday. It, It... it seemed a little choppy at times. We'll go through the timeline of events that took place yesterday, as well as our reactions to Tyus Battle returning to school. And then we'll take a look at what's what's to come for Syracuse. This is going to be a fun one to do between the two of us because we've been waiting for this Tyus Battle news pretty much the entire summer. It finally comes. As difficult as it was, it finally came. Yeah. But- it, it was a, uh, a whirlwind of a day yesterday. I don't even know where to begin. I mean, from 5.30 when we see the initial tweet from Jeff Goodman to Tyus deleting the Instagram and the, you know, the tweet comes out from Zag saying that his dad was actually no official decision yet and everything. And I kind of knew or at least I wanted to believe maybe that deep down he – he was just waiting to unveil it on his terms and maybe was a little upset about Goodman or who knows, maybe that he just wanted to come out like he did when Syracuse announced it. And that's why it wasn't officially official until, you know, around 10 o'clock at night. But it was a crazy day yesterday. It's never easy for us and it's never easy for Syracuse fans. And yesterday was more proof of that. And and we've got so much content coming out right now online, orangefizz.net, also on our Twitter account, at orangefizz. And and you can always also be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, Orange Fizz, also on SoundCloud. You'll get all the latest FizzCasts and Fizz Radio episodes. I'm going to do Fizz Radio for this week. I think it's going to, we're going to have a lot of great Fizz feedback, so I'm really looking forward to that. But in terms of this timeline, let's just sort that whole thing out right now. Okay, so about four. Well, I guess my my times are thrown off now because yeah, I, I'm. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll adapt to the audience. All right, so. Okay. Okay. For. Cater to your audience. Yeah, exactly. So, what actually you probably know better? What was it like five o'clock? Yeah, I think it was five thirty. Five thirty. I want to say the official time was 5.27. Okay. Uh, and it's kind of weird that I know that, if, <laughs> if that is correct. But right around that time is the initial tweet from Goodman. 
So Jeff Goodman tweets out, and it's interesting that it was Jeff Goodman too. Jeff Goodman tweets out that Tyus Battle is returning to school. Then about, I would say what, less than half an hour later, Adam Zagoria, who is pretty much the Battle insider, again, he's the Jeff Goodman, uh, he is to the Battle family what Jeff Goodman is to the Ball family, or was to the Ball family. And Zagoria says, just spoke with Gary Battle, and it's not a done deal yet, he hasn't made a decision. So temper is starting to flare, and again, Tyus Battle, he he posts on Instagram after the whole Goodman thing. It, probably what within ten minutes of Goodman, he posts yeah, the Instagram. Right after. Yeah, so and, he. And my mind immediately went like yours did. I think we were talking about this. Like maybe okay, maybe some team saw that he saw the decision or saw the tweet from Goodman and then immediately got in touch with them and maybe it's the Nets or someone hypothetically and they said hey we'll draft you at pick 40 if you actually decide to come out like just want to let you know we really like you and we liked your workout and they gave him like sort of a guarantee that's what I kind of went to which would be worst case scenario obviously yeah that's exactly where my mind went and I know some other people thought oh he just wants to announce it on his terms but he kind of did that with the Instagram him taking down the Instagram was what was kind of sketchy to me. And that's why I was thinking maybe he's not coming back. My mind went straight to a team just called him. A team drafting early in the second round called him and made a promise to him that he was going to go. Yeah, we're going to get to Conspiracy Corner later on. But... That's a tease, folks. (laughs) So, my mind goes straight to this... He's gone. He is... He's going to the draft... And some team has made some type of guarantee, and then he just holds out till about, what was it, I guess 9.30 Central Time, so that's what, 10.30 Eastern Time? Yeah. But keep in mind, he yeah, was in on Pacific Time, so it's about 7.30. He's working out with, with five other guys who have already signed agents slash are going to the draft slash have graduated. Right. So that's a huge red flag to me. Guys, it was it was all all guys that had already signed agents. Yeah. So that was a bit of a red flag to me, and that's what concerned me. And then I put a a tweet out from Orange Fizz saying, "Okay, this is a little concerning to see Tyus Battle playing with five guys that are all headed to the NBA draft. This is the red flag for me." And then seconds later, Jonathan is it Gavoni? Gavoni. Yeah. Gavoni from ESPN says just talk with Tyus Battle he can confirm he is coming back just sent the paperwork in and, and that's the, and that's our day <laughs> yeah the whirlwind of, of emotions we put out not to mention Isaiah Stewart putting Syracuse in his top 10 at, at one point in there yeah at 8 o'clock so 9 o'clock Eastern gets into the back burner which is a top 10 recruit and a really big deal but obviously this is the headliner right now and it's funny because as you were sending out that tweet saying, and, I, and that's how my mind went too, like, if anything, I guess that's a bad thing, but when Gavoni, who is the ESPN draft guru and, you know, has the Twitter handle at Draft Express, that's what he's known for, is taking the photo of Tyus Battle, it was almost like to stir the pot. I, I just wanted to look. Because he know, said. Touch with Gavoni and say, just ask the guy. You're, you're 20 feet away from him. Can he you, phrased you know, you're, you're it too. Do your job. And. Sure enough, he did uh, tweet out, you know, within moments later and gave us the news we were all waiting for. And finally, we got that officially official news. So 
just a whirlwind of a day, but bottom line is that it's really, really good news for Syracuse. Yeah, the reason why that tweet was so concerning to me was the way he phrased it. It was, Tyus Battle is working out with. Like, he was the focal point of the tweet, I believe, yeah. if I remember correctly. is working out with this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy. Um, so that's what... He knew that if he, if he put it that way, he'd get more traction yeah. from at least like the Syracuse fans because you know there was a contingency of Syracuse Because everyone was Googling Tyus Battle at that point. Right. So, I mean, he got, he got out of it what he wanted and then he broke the news and, and got that too. But I was just like, he's 20 feet away from the guy. Could you not just tell us that news or at least, I guess, ask the question a little bit earlier or anything? But he, he got to it eventually. Yeah. So... Let's get into our, our reactions to all of this. I'm quite frankly, my doors are blown off. I, I have no idea how this happened. We, we were definitely on the wrong, and Tyler Arc, you know who else is on the wrong is, is Jason Spears. <laughs> so, we, we, I, I won't even get into that too much, but as many Syracuse fans... He was getting chirped right after. That, that he's definitely gone. Um, at least Zags came out and, and left some wiggle words, but Spears was pretty adamant about it. So I guess just based on seeing those thoughts and what we were hearing, it's pretty shocking that he is coming back just because all along it seemed like our thought process was if he goes into the combine and tests the waters, that's only going to motivate him to stay in even more like it does for most players. Yeah, usually these players, they get in, and maybe this year's the exception because the pool was a record number. I think it was over yeah. like 250 players a or something like that. Out this year, for sure. But a lot of guys were testing it out this year, and maybe that's why a lot more, or it seems like there's a lot bigger names going back to school. But no, I, I'm thoroughly surprised. I thought even if he was a middle second rounder, and Mike Waters... He talked to Gary Battle about this. He said Tyus Battle doesn't want, or his son doesn't want to be an NBA draft pick. He wants to be an NBA draft or an NBA player, which I think. Good way to put it. I still think he would have been an NBA. I don't think he would have been a G League guy. I think defensively he would have done enough. Because look at a guy like now, second rounder. Look, look in the past at a couple of notable second rounders. All right, and what has kept them in the league? Look at this year, defense, Jordan yeah. Bell. Why is he playing minutes right now for the Rockets right. in a Game 7 of the Western Conference Finals? It's because of his defense. For the Celtics. Yep. I mean, he's out there because he's another body that can switch on LeBron and not get buried. Yeah. He's, he's a versatile defender. Malcolm Brogdon, second rounder, defense. Draymond Green, yeah, second rounder, right. defense. That's what kept them afloat in the league, and then they pulled up some other skills along the way that kept them in rotations. Yeah, I think... It's tough to say because it's all hypothetical, and I think where he ended up would have made a huge difference, obviously, and how mm-hmm. long he stays in the league, like it does for anyone, really. But it, I, ultimately, I do think, I, I guess I think this way, that he made the right decision because he will be a first-round pick next year, and then you get the hearing. But are you sure about that? I'm pretty sure. I mean, I haven't seen – I think the reason why he's not appearing in a lot of these mock drafts in terms of next year – is because they were assuming that he was going to be in this year's draft. And you'd have to imagine if he was borderline first round this year, just based on a numbers game, he would definitely be a first round pick next year. I just don't know how many guys as juniors can th- that can really improve their yeah. stock. 
Because at this point, yes, he's an he's an NBA draft pick. I, I don't think there's any question in anyone's mind that he would have been picked in this upcoming draft. And he certainly will get picked next year. But I don't think he can really improve his stock that much. Because think about it. He... What what more can he do? He's going to be the leading returning scorer in the ACC, and he's. It's not yeah, like his defense is going to change at all. He's going to be playing in that two three zone again. I feel like the benefit to this year's team when he comes back is he won't be required to play ISO ball for ninety percent of the game or be taking these shots late in the shot clock because if you read the scouting reports on him, most of them out there were. Yeah, he's kind of an ISO scorer, but if he's inserted into an NBA roster, specifically in his first couple years, he's not going to be required to be an ISO scorer. He's got to learn to score without the ball, score through handoff screens, find ways to move without the ball, and even catch catch and shoot type of stuff off in terms of threes and stuff like that. So I think he's going to have an opportunity to prove his skills in that regard a little bit more with this year's roster because... He doesn't have to score 25 points a night, 20 points a night. He's going to have other options, and this is going to be a much better team offensively. Yeah, he won't have to shoulder as much of the load, and we'll get to that a little more when we look at this roster as a whole. But I just don't see – I think the the trade-off of the little bit better you can get at Syracuse as opposed to adding a year of mileage on your body, I just don't think – I think it's going to cancel out. I really think it will in a lot of these GMs' minds. Especially if he's back to playing 35, 37 minutes a night. Right. I'm sure another thing that was on his mind was probably that he can graduate next year in three years and get his degree, at least given if he takes a little more credits, I'm assuming, because I've seen that out there, and I know that he has been on the all-academic honor roll for the ACC and everything. He's definitely a student-athlete, at least, and maybe that factored into it a little bit, you know, as a fallback plan, at least if the NBA doesn't work out or if injuries happen, you know, anything like that, unfortunately. Yeah, that's fair. So, with, you're, you're generally surprised, I'm generally surprised, I mean, when I heard the whole thing, I think everyone else as well was pretty surprised because it seemed all indications like there were some things saying that he didn't even want to return to school after after the tournament ended and that he was thinking about dropping out and just getting ready and right. this things from zags that were coming out in mid-may that things he was leaning towards going and i i just think that this is a situation where you bet on yourself and if he really wants to come back and work for something special at Syracuse, more power to him. But I don't know, that, that statement that he put out on, on for Cuse.com and for from Syracuse Athletics seemed a little frustrated. Yeah, I mean, I think he'd definitely be going if he was borderline. If he was seeing his names at the latest in these mock drafts, like 34, 35 range, and most of these mock drafts had him in the first round, in the tail end of the first round, like we saw before the combine, I think really that's where his stock lowered, obviously. He was considered by many to be a, a disappointment at the combine. So once that happened and he saw his name popping up to the Lakers at 47 and the Nets at 45 or whatever, I even saw him as far down as 55. Yeah, to SI. saw that one too. And 
I mean, you see that and you think, all right, I might as well come back because you know I'm going to do better than that next year and I can give this a run with a good team and maybe make it even further into the tournament. Yeah, I mean, this is a team now that returns all five starters from last year, really not losing much. So it's loaded, man. It I, is. I mean, I joked with you, I'm, I'm drinking the Kool-Aid a little bit because... <laughs> I don't know, I feel like with our mindset at least and what we were hearing, it was always, okay, Taz is going to leave and then you're going to slide in Hughes. And I was kind of looking at the roster from that point of view. And now it just hasn't even entered my mind until yesterday when I saw the decision that he's coming back. And I'm like, whoa, like this is 11 guys on this roster that can play if you include Bayheim and Braswell. And, and this is a deep team that has a lot of talent. They can shoot the ball a little bit. Like... I think they're right now sliding into the fourth spot in the ACC standings. If you factor in UNC, Duke, and UVA, like usual, are probably going to be the top three teams. And then it's kind of like a lot of teams vying for that fourth spot. And I think they're the front runners as of right now in terms of talent and just experience of what they're bringing back. Yeah. So let's look at next year's roster. This is this is really this is going to be a fun team to watch next year. So we'll start off. Uh, starting lineup, probably the same. I'm assuming no changes. It's be the same, I think, yeah. At least for the first month or so of the season. I, I don't see this, barring some type of injury, I don't see the starting lineup changing. Then the bench, you've got Jalen Carey, Elijah Hughes, Howard Washington, Buddy Bayheim. Those are your guards. And then in the front court, Robert Braswell and Barama Sidibe. That's, that's 11 guys, that's 11 guys right crazy. there. So, let me ask you this. I I don't think you're going to... I think I know the answer you're going to give me, but do you think Buddy Beheim now redshirts after the Tyus Bell decision? Because he seems to be, hypothetically, that 11th guy right now. That's going to be interesting. I, I think you, when you look at him and maybe you throw in someone like Braswell, I, it's going to be one of those situations where... And who knows how Howard Washington's going to come back, too, from his injury... Yeah. That that's another question mark. When is he exactly going to be healthy? Because again, he went down with a season-ending injury pretty late in the year. Right. So you figure he's maybe not ready until the beginning of the season, if that. So my thinking is you have to keep at least Braswell or Beheim. Like you're not going to redshirt. I mean, that's right. not a possibility. Redshirt both of them because that's the only forward depth you have. I mean, I guess you can play Elijah Hughes at forward, he's kind of like a combo, but you really want to have more like 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, forward, right. as many of those as you can hey, possibly I, have. I don't see so. a situation where Braswell redshirts. Yeah. I don't think he redshirts, so then it becomes, I guess, Beheim. I mean, I just don't see a situation where Buddy Beheim's seen many minutes, like, you know, more than sparingly, or what we saw from like a Howard Washington last year, because... Braswell fills in that forward depth. I mean, maybe he outplays Braswell, and you know he provides three-point shooting, which is nice to have. But eleven guys, we've never seen Jimmy play more than eight, and I, and I feel like there's kind of a cutoff at, at the, once you get over that nine, ten mark, and you're gonna have to start looking into redshirts. Here, here's why. I think Syracuse should redshirt, but it just I just don't see who is really going to bite that bullet here. And, and here's why. There's going to be games where no one can hit a shot, and you're going to have to bring Buddy Beheim off the bench. Now, how many times a season will that happen? Who knows? 
but maybe you just need the one guy to come in, give you a spark off the bench. He can play one minute, still counts. Yeah, and also, I mean, we saw a lot of injuries last year. There could be a good chance that just out of necessity from injury, he has to start playing 15, 20 minutes a game. Like, say Braswell goes down, like I said, you can probably play Hughes a little bit at the forward spot, but in order to stay strong defensively at forward, you're going to want to have a guy like Buddy in terms of his size there. And not to mention, not to mention, not only does he have the shooting ability, but he knows the way that this team is supposed to function better than probably anyone on this roster. Yeah. yeah so, probably. again, like we like to call him, he is the 15th year senior. <laughs> exactly. So, I don't, I don't know. I think, I mean, if I were to bet on it, I'd say he redshirts just out of the fact that he's number 11 right now. Yeah. If you stack it up and. And I think really, once it comes down to ACC play, Jim's not going to play more than eight guys. Right. And you're probably looking at Hughes, Carey, and Sidibe off, off the bench. Maybe a little and, Braswell in there, too. Right. Maybe. Maybe Washington is the odd man out. Yeah. With the I injury. Feel like, I feel like he kind of was last year, but that's where they're deep enough is guard play right now. You've right. got Howard, Battle, Hughes, Carey, and then you get to Washington. That's five guards. I mean, they were playing two all of last year. Yeah. You know, that's not the the normal trend or what you want to do. But I think the only really concern with this team, at least when you look at it, it's really deep. But the center position is still a little scary when you factor in that Sidibe, yes, we've been hearing you know good things. And I think Mike Waters said that his recovery and his surgery is going really well. He's ahead of schedule. Yeah, it's ahead of schedule, he says. But... That's still a concern to me a little bit. Even Chukwu's had some injury issues, and those are really your only two anchors right now. If one of those guys goes down, then it becomes a little worrisome. I think that's really the only spot where I'm concerned in terms of depth, because before it was forward, but you had Braswell, and I feel a lot better about that now. Yeah, and you don't feel as good having Mark Dolajai be your anchor as you would with maybe Matthew Moore. Although I, I do think O'Shea Brissett, given his athleticism and his length, yeah. maybe fills that five a little bit better than a guy like Dolge. Again, this is a complete emergency scenario. But right. it, it's something that y- you never know what's going to happen, and it's certainly something that could happen given the history. Uh, again, Barama Sidibe's knees, who knows how they're going to hold up. Pascal Chukwu, I mean, a seven foot two guy, a freak thing can happen at any point. Yeah, and also... I don't know how much you gain if you do redshirt Buddy Beheim. I mean, yes, you gain but you're obviously. Yeah. That's obvious. But, like, he's not taking a scholarship or anything like that. At least you would assume at this point. I don't think he will. And that's a huge benefit. I don't know. I just – it's not – it doesn't – You don't really, lose a lot either, though, except yeah. for maybe a handful of games where you need him. Right. You need like some if shooting. They, if they keep him in the lineup – or they don't redshirt him and he barely plays, it's not like I'm going to be like, oh, that was a mistake. Like That's why I think if you're leaning one way, you probably just keep him in that lineup just in case we like these injuries pop up or you need a three-point shooter off the bench. Yeah. So just break. let's break down these guards a little bit more because now that battle's coming back, I think this throws a whole wrench. If battle were gone, I think we'd see Elijah Hughes slot in and maybe... Jalen Carey gets a little run at a start, but probably Hughes because he's been with the team for a little bit longer. Now, 
with Battle back in the fold, I, I'm really wondering how these minutes are going to be distributed. Yeah. Because I don't think Battle at least it anticipates playing upwards of 35 to 37 minutes a night. But that that's just sometimes the way it happens with some of these guys returning. Like, I don't think Tyler Lyon expected to play that many minutes the next season on what was supposed to be a loaded team. Yeah, and now I he's... think one thing that's interesting in terms of they now have the opportunity with Battle coming back to kind of play like a really strong offensive lineup that's a little bit smaller. If you just take out Chukwu and put in Elijah Hughes or Carey, let's say Elijah Hughes because he can kind of play that forward role. So you have Battle and Hughes that are basically like two combo guard slash forwards. They have the length and the size to play on the wing position. You have Howard, who's already pretty tall at the top, and then Dolja and Brissett down low, which isn't ideal. But if you're going against a team that doesn't have a seven-footer or anyone too scary down low, that's the lineup you can play in crunch time, and all five of those guys can score and create their own shot, which is crazy to think because last year it felt like at times there was only three guys that could create their own shot. Yeah, that's going to be the fun part about this team is you return all the defense, but you just add a bunch of offense too. And you're going to have some guys off the bench that can score, which is a real, real nice change of pace. And, and look at this. Look at it this way, too. When you look at postseason Marek Dolezal, so ACC tournament and NCAA tournament, he was a, he was a viable scoring option. He worked on that, that 17-footer, and it started to go in pretty consistently. So... You're looking at four guys in the starting lineup that can score. And then on top of that, you're going to have uh, off the bench, guys who can score, Jalen Carey, Elijah Hughes, and then Buddy Beheim can shoot. Yeah. And Howard Washington's a good distributor. I mean, he's got some low-post moves. He he had like a couple 18-point, 16-point games last year. It's just interesting how healthy will he be. And right. Assuming he's healthy, I think he only enhances his offensive game. So looking now, we know the roster. Remember when we thought Syracuse would have to add a grad transfer? And now there's just absolutely no need. Can you can you imagine if this team, or I guess it, it would have offset with, it offsets with Robert Braswell coming to Syracuse, but if SU had went out and grabbed a grad transfer, <laughs> they might be... Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, basically... At the end of the day, they lost Matt Moyer and Dolzhai, and they added Braswell in terms of what we were planning out in our heads all season, like during the regular season right. and everything. So it really, I mean, that doesn't sound great when you say it out loud because Baisley's a top 10 recruit, obviously, right. but you still have 11 guys. You didn't lose a ton in terms of depth. So looking at this team next year, rankings-wise, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of things float around. This is a top 25 team, no doubt in my mind. I would say this team is square at 15. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, ESPN has them at 16. Mm-hmm. I kind of agree with that the most. Yeah. NBC Sports, I saw, has them at 25. I've got a little bit of a bone to pick with that because <laughs> I, I'm, Let's fine hear it. Them, I'm fine with them having Syracuse at 25, but their reasoning makes no sense to me. Let me just read out the little description they have here after they go over who's added, who's gone, all that. They say, the Orange have no depth and very little perimeter shooting this side of Buddy Beheim. 
But with ties back in the fold, I think this Orange team will be able to scrape together enough ugly, grinded-out wins to be in and around the top 25 all season. We just listed 11 guys. How did they not have yeah. depth? And then we were talking about Buddy Beheim's perimeter shooting. This is a team on paper that will have more perimeter shooting than really a Syracuse team has had in the past four or five years. If you think about Jalen Carey, Hughes can shoot the three. We know Tyus and Frank improved their three-point shot, specifically Frank, but yeah. Tyus can still shoot it. O'Shea's got a three-point shot. When he gets away from that dome vision a little bit, too, it's even better. And, and O'Shea Brissett really figured it out at the end of the year shooting the three. Yeah. He was much better I mean, in the second half. I, I just listed five guys. I feel like in the past five years, you've been relying on one or two guys mainly to shoot the three. So Yeah, not everyone can be Villanova. Yeah, it's not like Villanova or Duke or someone, but I don't think that's a weakness at all. I feel like, if anything, it's a strength of this team in terms of three-point shooting. Yeah, and apparently Braswell's a decent three-point shooter, too. So, depending on how much he plays. Yeah, 25, I think, is a little... I mean, this is a team that, theoretically, finished in the top 16 last year in terms of... Right. Granted, it's a little wonky, but... This is a team that, when it was all said and done, was one of the final 16 teams standing and yeah. gave a run at a Duke team that was probably the the most talented roster in the field. Right. I mean, I'm just looking at this NBC, NBC Sports ranking. Basically, the teams in the ACC that they have in front of Syracuse are UNC, Duke, Virginia, all in the top 10. And then mm-hmm. they have Virginia Tech at 11. Which, I mean, I understand Virginia Tech's bringing back Justin Robinson, Blackshear, a lot of their main guys from last year. And they, I thought, were, if anything, an underrated team last year. But, mm-hmm. I don't know, to have them at 11, I think, is bullish. I'm not, I'm not quite as high. On they had them at 11? Seen, yeah, I'm seeing that 11 nationally. But, basically, when you look at these ACC rankings right now, it's Virginia, Duke, UNC, in some order in the top three. Everyone has that. And then there's kind of some debate. In the four, five, six range, it's mainly like Virginia Tech, Clemson, Syracuse, Florida State, if you add a seventh, I guess. And I feel like Syracuse is better than that group by a little bit. I don't think Clemson or Virginia Tech scare me too much. And yeah, Florida State went to the Elite Eight last year and they're returning a lot of guys. But, but they're also losing some too. I forget yeah. which Walker it is. I, I, if it was CJ or MJ. I want to say it was CJ. Yeah, CJ. And then Angola is gone. He graduated. Who is arguably their best player? Mm-hmm. They'll have Terrence Mann back, but yeah, I mean C.J. Walker. I think he's transferring to Ohio State, which is interesting. Right. And another thing to bring up. I mean, yesterday, I know Brian Crawford stayed in the draft, which is kind of big news. Tough news for Wayne and Darrell Moore. Other guys. Yeah, Darrell Moore's gone. I know Kai Bowman pulled out, which is big for yep. BC because they've already lost Jerome Robinson. So. Jerome Robinson's in. Wow, my favorite backcourt in the in the ACC is gone. Actually, my favorite team in the ACC is gone. <laughs> Your favorite team in the country. I think in the country, high. yeah. Last year, I I was the biggest Boston College fan out of anyone. Yeah, they were I mean, the most fun team. Be, they're still gonna be improved because they'll, they'll have Jordan Chapman back too. But right. that's the most fun team in college basketball. Yeah, they more fun than Nova, more fun than Duke, Kansas. PM. Yeah. I mean, at least the Chestnut Hill. It was yeah. the other way around in Syracuse. Right, yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I think when you look at the ACC rankings, I have Syracuse firmly at four, and I feel like there is some debate because, like I said, Florida State, Clemson, Virginia Tech, but I don't see those programs 
I don't see Clemson like competing for an ACC title, and I think Syracuse has somewhat of an outside shot to do that, at least in the postseason maybe if they get hot or something. I just think Syracuse has a higher ceiling given that everyone's coming back and they made it far in the tournament last year. Yeah, that, that's my big thing. Everyone's coming back. I, I just think that's – and then you can kind of say the same about Virginia. Huge that they're getting DeAndre Hunter back um, but and Ty Jerome's back. Kyle Guy's back. So Virginia maybe won't be the best team when it's all said and done in the ACC, but I would bank on them to go the furthest in the tournament, especially after what happened last year. This is going to be a revenge tour team. Win it all next year, I think. In terms of, it just makes sense the the bounce back year and all that after the huge upset, obviously this year. But yeah, I mean Duke, UNC, Virginia are. Uh, a notch above that next group. And yeah. really, when you look past that, I mean, there's a lot of good coaches now in the ACC that makes you worry a little bit. Like, even Chris Mack at Louisville mm-hmm. and uh, Mike Bray, obviously, is always tough at Notre Dame. The, yeah. Those games are always going to be tough, especially on the road. But I feel like it's not the best. It's not like we're going to see the ACC be far and away better than every other conference next year. I think there's going to be some down years, especially for teams like Louisville. They don't have any recruits because of this whole scandal. Because they shot themselves in the foot. There. Yeah. Notre um, Dame. We know, we know Pitt is going to be in the cellar again. Which <laughs> Pitt might not have a team great. next year. Yeah, which is great. I mean, Jeff Capel will get there eventually, but yeah. you know, it won't happen overnight. Whether it's legally or not. but Yeah, seriously. But I think... Even Georgia Tech has lost. Their They're losing a Kobe. Guys, right? Ben Lammers and Jackson will both be gone. I, I don't know. I, I'd say Syracuse. I mean, they have that home and home against Pitt next year, which will be nice. But. I think I think they're right there at four, and the ACC is not quite as deep as it has been in the past. If you just look on paper, I mean, it's way out in front. It's kind of foolish to look at this closely, but it's, that's how I'm seeing it. It's not as deep, but it'll still get the most tournament teams. It's very top-heavy. Yeah. It, yeah, that's true. I, I would say, yeah, Syracuse. And I agree with you that there's the tiers in terms of Duke, Carolina, Virginia, and that's not in any specific order, but that's the top tier. I'm trying to think of what Syracuse has to do to break into that top tier. Well, you're, they'll have... In terms of what has play. to... Yeah, I, I think maybe like... I think Elijah Hughes is kind of interesting. Yeah. He's kind of like an X factor because, mm-hmm. I mean, if he lives up to the hype and what we're hearing and and how good he is in practice and I saw him a little bit in the orange versus white scrimmage and he looks really impressive... On one hand, you you don't want to completely buy into that because he still hasn't played an ACC game or he still hasn't played any games in the carrier dome that mean anything. And he went to ECU, so it'd be quite the leap. Because, I mean, when, when you tell a casual fan, like, oh, yeah, Wise Hughes is going to score 15 a game, 10 a game for Syracuse, they're like, where did he come, come from again? Like someone that doesn't know Syracuse basketball. Mm-hmm. And you'll say ECU, and they're – you know, they're not going to believe you right away, and that's just the nature of it. But he's kind of an X factor because if he lives up to the hype, I think that could maybe – then they're competing with the Dukes and the UNCs, and they have nearly as much – not talent because Duke's just on another planet, I guess, in that regard. But they definitely have the ability to take them down. Yeah, for me, I think the, the way that Syracuse gets in Tier 1, it, there's a couple things. I, I like the Elijah Hughes point, but – 
what type of step is this, I guess it's now the sophomore class going to take? What is a guy like O'Shea Brissett, what is his next level? What is Mark Dolezal's next level? Because if they can continue to elevate their games, remember, a lot of people like O'Shea Brissett as a potential lottery pick for next year. So how is he going to show that, A, when there might be too many cooks in the kitchen now in terms of scoring, when you bring in these guys who can score off the bench now, how is he going to adapt to that role? And, and then with Dolajai, what is he going to bring? What is that next level, that next dimension for him? Because he kind of added that shooting at the end. What's next for him? What is that next move, that next attribute that he can bring to the table that can set this over the top? Because again, this team got, gained a lot of valuable experience and lost pretty much none of it last year from last year. So how does this team kind of adapt to this new role of we're not the young team anymore? That You don't have that excuse anymore. You're a veteran team that went to the Sweet 16 last year and almost went to the Elite Eight. So how are you going to work with that and take yourself to the next level? And then along with that, I mean, health is a big question too. I mean, these guys are beat up from last year, battled some injuries, Frank Howard didn't look right necessarily at the end of the year. Barama Sidibe, health's going to be a big issue. And that's another way that you can stay ahead of the pack because let's, when you look at it, does Syracuse, I mean, they return the top score in the ACC. Or they have the leading returning score. Right. Jerome Robinson's gone. Marvin Bagley's gone. Number three, Tyus Battle. Yeah. So. I mean, the, the big thing is. Can you prove it? I think everyone is hungry in terms of Syracuse fans for a solid regular season because they let's just don't sweat it out on Selection Sunday. Yeah, they've been in the middle of the pack of the ACC really since they joined the conference, with the exception of the first year when they were incredible and Mm -hmm. you know went twenty three and zero to start out or whatever it was and had that big win over Duke. But after that, it's been a lot of sweating out on Selection Sunday. Now you finally got a team that is projected. I'd say they're going to be projected at worst sixth in the ACC standings, and I, I think mm-hmm. they should be higher around the four or five range. So, and keep in mind, sixth in the ACC probably gets you what six or a seven seed. Yeah, and you're probably looking at a you know a 23, 24, 25 win season, maybe maybe even more. Because yeah. I mean, a lot of that depends on non-conference and everything, but. I don't know. I, I want to see them. They always seem to start out slow in ACC play. If you look at their schedule, it's it's obviously way in advance, but you've got the, the four home-and-home home games you're looking at are BC, Clemson, Duke, and Pitt. You should have two wins right there with Pitt and maybe even two wins with BC. Just They've got to take care of business this year in terms of like, I'm looking at road games against Wake Forest or road games against NC State. Those are the type of games that they haven't really won in the past, and that's why they've been in the middle tier of the ACC. They've got to win those games in order to get to the 4-5 range firmly in the tournament and actually put themselves in a position to like be a 5-seed going into March Madness, be a 4-seed, because we know... Because that's, that's the, that's the old norm. Right. That's and the old norm for the Syracuse team. So tough lately. So there's, there's somewhat of some pressure on this regular season. I think... They've got to they've got to prove that they're not just this fluky team that delivers in the tournament based on a good defense. Like show that you've got some offense, you've got some three point shooting, and you're bringing back the whole bunch from last year. You're supposed to be a top four, top five ACC team. Now they've got to prove it. 
I also think that this year's Syracuse team, and this kind of goes off of that, not only do you have to, to take care of business against the BCs, the Wake Forces, the Pits, but do it comfortably. And I think we're going to see a lot more comfortable wins this year just because the defense is all intact, and I don't think it's going to be a, a complete struggle to score points. This is a Syracuse team that I think could average 75 points per game. Yeah, I think, I think the big thing is the ceiling has always been there in terms of they've won the big games, whether it was the year they didn't make the tournament two years ago and they had like three or four top ten wins. You have the win over Virginia, the win over Duke, Florida State all at home. So they've been able to prove it in terms of those big primetime like Monday night or Wednesday night matchups on ESPN. Now you've got to win those games, like we're saying, where it's Wake Forest in the middle of the week on the road, and there's not a ton on the line. Might be early in ACC play, mm-hmm. and you might not have a ton of urgency to win that game. Or an NC State, or even a Georgia Tech, like any of those type of teams, you just win those and win those comfortably, and that's when you prove, like, okay, we're a mainstay in the ACC. We're supposed to be this good, and we are this good. And that's where I think it's going to help and also, in a sense, maybe hurt uh, to have a veteran team like this. Because, yes, the whole thing about having a veteran team is they're not going to get complacent. They know what's on the line. But when you look at these veterans, Frank Howard aside, this team has slid by. And I guess really only Howard and, and I guess a little Chukwu and Battle understand the sting of not making the tournament, which happened two years ago, but they might get complacent and it was enough. Like look at last year's team, they got complacent at times. They got complacent against Boston College down the road where they played maybe their worst game of the season. And a couple of those other games, but you got some big ones down the line. You beat Clemson and then you get the ACC tournament win. But they right. slid by a little bit, and maybe they view that as, okay, that was enough for this team to get into the tournament, and then we just run our magic from there. This yeah. team has to show that veteran presence for the entire length of the season, for the full 30 to 35 games. Yeah, I mean, I think it, a lot of it comes down to the non-conference, get off to a good start, and then in the early part of the ACC schedule, win those games you're supposed to win so that... When you're playing, like, last year with that BC game, it just seemed like they knew it was on the line. It was the biggest game of the season, even though it was Boston College on the road in the middle of the week. It shouldn't be that big of a game, but given where they were on the bubble, it a lot of stuff was on the line. So they got tight, and they played kind of nervous, and they didn't have it on that given night. And a lot of that is because they didn't execute in the early part of the ACC schedule like we saw it two years ago. Granted, that's when Hopkins was at the helm and, you know, when Beheim was serving that mm-hmm. suspension. So a lot a lot of stuff went into that. But I think they started like 0-1-4 that year, came back, and just didn't do enough, or they did do enough to get into the tournament that year. But execute early on in ACC play because obviously we don't have the schedule and when these games are laid out yet. You're going to have some easy wins, though, just by the numbers game early on, and that's when you've got to capitalize. Here's what I think might end up being one of the more important games, especially to set this tone right out of the gate. Big Ten ACC Challenge. Yep. Because Which the, we still don't know, right? Right. We still don't know that opponent yet. But that that's usually, 
And yes, there's a little... I think Syracuse has a, a small tournament that they're in, the 2K Sports Classic, whatever. Yeah, it's got some good teams in It's that. got some solid teams, but nothing that special. This is... Right. The, there are some quality teams in the Big Ten that you're going to potentially be matched up with. Now, this is where you have to take care of business and maybe go out and make a statement. Because if you get matched up with, say, a Maryland or or a Northwestern, maybe a Minnesota, but if, if Syracuse gets an Indiana, if Syracuse draws Indiana, and you're going up against Romeo Langford, and there's a couple other solid players on that team, you have to go out and make a statement in that game. Because that, that game is going to be what defines your, your non-conference. Yeah, even if it's Michigan State, which would be really cool after yeah. the tournament last year. I think Michigan State will be preseason top 10, like as expected, like they mm-hmm. normally are. And, I mean, that's definitely a big game. It's executing in non-conference. Because, I mean, it's easy to forget that team with Tyler Lydon that didn't, you know, two years ago, John Gill and Andrew White, they were preseason top 20, just like this team might mm-hmm. be. I mean, they might even be ranked higher than this team could be. And they're right around the same talent level. Granted, the excuse all along with that team was they didn't have a ton of experience playing the zone. That caught up to them, whether it was grad transfers or incoming freshmen. But I think it's easy to forget that Syracuse has kind of been in this position before, and they still didn't quite live up to the standards and kind of laid an egg in the regular season, which cost them. So there's just got to be more of an emphasis. There's a lot of pressure on this regular season, and I think Jim Beheim knows that, and he's going to – definitely put more of an emphasis on winning those games early on in the schedule yeah you just want it to be a, a matter of where not if they're in the ncaa tournament right that, that's all you, that's all you got to ask for at this point yeah and it's sad that they're preseason top 15 and we just can't talk about like oh this is going to be like what's their ceiling elite eight sweet 16 whether because you can't jump to that conclusion based on what we've seen in the past and I guess that's true for really any program. It would be silly to do that for any school, given how far away we are from next March. I mean, it's a really long time. Yeah. but It's still technically May. Right, yeah. At the same time, it's uh, it's definitely, like you say, you just want to be a lock in the tournament. Just breathe easily and, and just worry about winning that first-round game and not getting upset in the first round and go into March with, like, a comfortable seating and having some momentum. All right, any last thoughts before we hit Conspiracy Corner and get out of here? Uh, no, I think we covered it all. I think I think I got everything off my chest that I wanted to. Let, let's roll into Conspiracy Corner. All right, before we start, we have to address something. Tyus Battle's Instagram was hacked. <laughs> it was. It, and, and I'm not talking about the deleted picture. He actually got hacked. There is a, a tweet out there that he said, sorry, my Instagram account got hacked. It was like... Some little kid. I mean, yeah, kids weird. these days was like, yeah, comment or follow this person and then comment D uh, when done and I'll follow back like the first 750 people or whatever it was. It was something absurd. Yeah. But. <laughs> Just a kid yearning for followers. Exactly. So, again, my conspiracy corner from, what was it, one week ago or two weeks ago was that Tyus Battle was locked in, so locked into this NBA draft thing, he had to purge all the people that he didn't care about on Instagram and just unfollowed people, and that's why. No, he unfollowed me because he was hacked. That's why. <laughs> right. That, that we've gotten to the bottom of it now. Yeah. You, you didn't miss the cut because of you and your personal traits. It was more, 
it was it was all that little kid's fault. Yeah. So Tyus, be sure to refollow at Tyler Aki on Instagram. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think the funniest part about that whole thing is I'm pretty sure it was John Gillen. I saw a comment on his Instagram like got, he put on Instagram like got my account back. Sorry about that. Whatever. <laughs> and John Gillen was like, "LOL." Like a lot of former Syracuse yeah. players because they pop up on my Instagram in the comment section of these. We're roasting him about it, which is which is funny to see. Yeah. So my next conspiracy corner for this week, and again. We, we have fun with Conspiracy Corner. These aren't things that we necessarily actually believe. Like, some of these things maybe we do believe. Like, I thoroughly believe like, Tyus Battle unfollowed me because he had to purge the following and didn't want to deal with people that he didn't care about. So, I firmly believe that one. This one's more joking. But, so Tyus Battle, the big news with him was that he was working out with the Lakers and he was in the same workout as Leangelo Ball. So, my Conspiracy Corner is... The Lakers told Tyus Battle that Leangelo was higher on their board than Tyus was. And remember, Tyus Battle loves the Lakers because he loves Kobe. So my conspiracy is they told Leangelo he was higher. They told Tyus that Leangelo was higher on their board. And Tyus Battle just said, F that. I'm going back to college. If I'm worse than him, I got to go back. Yeah. All right, so I just thought of my conspiracy corner, and you teed me up for it. I, I just thought of it as you were breaking down your scenario. Okay. Here it is. Jeff Goodman, what oh boy. if he was spying on the Leangelo Ball workout, and that's how he got the sword <laughs> to break the Tyus news? We've never heard of Jeff Goodman ever breaking news in regards to Tyus battle. You, I mean, I would have That's Zag's corner. He's on stepping Zag's on Zag's corner. With that news. Right. He stepped on his corner. Jeff Goodman has never been in a Syracuse corner, in a Tyus Battle corner, in a Gary Battle corner. I don't know. It's just it's sketchy that he worked out with the balls who Jeff Goodman used to be. We we know the details there. He got Even though he's cut out of the will now. I think he was spying on him. He was trying to get into the locker room. Maybe he ran into Gary Battle. One thing led to another. They exchanged phone numbers. He cross-referenced it with a couple other sources and bang he got the breaking news report he he broke at five o'clock 5 30 eastern time the next day he didn't get Lancel ball he was trying that i think i think that's why he he got that news i love that um so i i know we say that we only half believe some of these do you actually believe that because um, i could totally buy into that one i mean i'd say it's like 60 40 60 i believe at 40 i know because <laughs> I just came up with it 10 seconds ago and but it makes I was sense. saying it, I was trying to like really come put the, put the theory together in my thoughts. Like it was very, you know, it's very raw in my head. Maybe I'll it all checks out 20 minutes and be like, yeah, that was dumb. But <laughs> right now it's 60, 40. I love that. All right. That all checks out. I'm a big fan of that one. That, that, that might be the all timer. I'm pretty proud of it. I, yeah. I was kind of rambling and kind of like, you know, I was, I was getting a little worried that I wouldn't come up with anything as you were talking, and then it just hit me, and, and I had to go with it. A very ball-heavy conspiracy corner. <laughs> All right, anything before we get out of here? No, I think we're good. I'm, I'm drinking the Kool-Aid, man. Top four next year in the ACC. I'm, I'm all in now on Syracuse with the Tyus Battle news coming back. All right, you're in, I'm in, Tyus Battle's in, so... 
That's going to do it for us here on the FizzCast. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the rest of your day. Orange Fizz, you can find us online, orangefizz.net, Twitter, at Orange Fizz, also on Facebook, and then be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, on the Podcast Center. Orange Fizz, you know where to find us. Yeah.